0: Amen. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you. So I would like to welcome all of you and let you know that you will receive a special gift at the end of service, but you have to stay till the end of service to get it. And it's very nice this year. I really I really like it for myself, so I'm excited to get it for me as well. But we are giving out some special prizes, too. Five of them, too, are these plants on the end of the stage, and then I have... Three special prizes that you have a chance to win at the end. But I'm excited about what we're going to do today. I've asked some ladies to share some testimonies with you today. Um, I've titled the name of this message, The Power of Redemption. In the book of Ephesians, Paul had a remarkable conversion story and ministry to the Ephesians. Paul went from persecuting Christians to becoming a follower of Christ. So we can go from having the worst of things to having the best. Amen? So we're going to focus on chapter 1, verse 7 of Ephesians, and it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of whose grace? His grace. For, for who now we live in Christ are very blessed. We are richer than we could ever imagine. Things can be making no sense in our life and still be blessed at the same time. You know, sometimes we wonder, how can life be so chaotic, but I'm still so blessed? You still, you still feel that, that joy from the Lord. Our lives can sometimes be unbearable at times, but we still have the peace of God. The word redemption is a particular kind or element of salvation. And redeem means to either loosen or to rescue. In Paul's day, it was referred to the loosening of human beings who found themselves in some form of captivity to another being loosened from slavery or a prisoner being loosed from jail. And the word normally referred to the loosening happening through some kind of payment. Someone had to pay to be able to be loosed. Someone paying the price of redemption. So loosening came with the cost, okay? One of the glorious riches of the gospel is that you have been loosened. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives, and because of that, it says we are loosed. What you are oppressed by, captive to, and a slave to, you have been redeemed by his blood. Do I have an amen on that? One of the deepest longings of a human heart, even before you have a relationship with Christ, is you want to be loosed from everything that holds you captive. And you know what that feels like. You know, we carry around things that we don't have to carry around because we don't have Christ in our heart. But especially frees us from, end quote, the sin that controls us and keeps us from being free. We all have a sin. We all have something that will keep you from being free. And today I have three ladies that's going to share their testimonies with you. What their life was like before Jesus, but there's power in redemption. Amen? And Jesus has the power to restore. Get this. He has the power to make all things new. And all those bad things that people said about you and all the things that you've done, you know, all the things you've done. We've, We've all done some things. God can turn all that around and make all things new. And so I am so very proud of this first lady that's going to come. She is extremely nervous. And as I know, you at Promise of Victory are going to make her welcome. And I told her, this is one of many times for her because I believe in her. And I am extremely proud of where she's come from. I remember when she first came to this church, she was part of Reckless Recovery, I believe. And um, that's where she met her husband, Tony, over here. And I, I love him to death, and they know they know I do. I am for them. And so I want you to make her welcome as she comes to share her testimony. Followed by her will be uh, Sister Amy. No, sorry, Sister Jessica and then Sister Amy are going to come and share. I'm sorry, I have them in the wrong order. But they're going to talk about their struggles, the hardships, and the sin that held them captive. But they found freedom in the love of Jesus. Will you make Sister Jenny welcome?
1: I'll bear with me because I've been battling uh, sinus and allergies all week. So if I start coughing, just overlook me. But um, my name is Jenny Hill, I'm a mother of three, a grandmother of five. Three years and 11 months ago today, Jesus set me free from drug addiction. <laughs> Growing up, some bad things happened to me at the hands of family and people that I thought were friends. I kept silent because I was scared of what would happen. So I let that eat away at me for years. But when I was 18, I got pregnant with my son Christopher. Christopher's back there. (laughs) And I turned 19 the day after I had him. Not long after he was born, I got pregnant with my Kristen and then two years later with my baby girl, Taylor, and my life was good. I had people who loved me, my life was good. I had somebody I could protect and that was gonna love me no matter what. My life took a different turn. On January 21st, 1999, I lost my baby brother from injuries, he sustained in a car accident seven months earlier. And he was like mine, so it was really hard on me. And then skip ahead to June 1999, June the 14th, 1999 as a matter of fact. Uh, Well, I met my husband a few days before that. June the 14th, I'd done my first pill. I got worse, and two years later, I went to using it IV. The only good thing I did during my addiction was send my babies to church. One summer, my dad came to get my kids. And I just realized this morning as I was reading over this, it was on Mother's Day. Fifteen years ago, my dad came to get my kids to take them. They were having a party for my stepmother. As soon as he left, about an hour or so, a CPS worker showed up. She drug tested me, and of course I failed. And now where I'm from, it's um, a long ways to the DHS office. It, take, it took about an hour, so when she left to go back to the office to fill out the paperwork to take my kids from me to go because my dad lived in MacDowell County, West Virginia, and I lived in Buchanan Woo! County, Virginia, <laughs> and uh, at the time, so she had an hour's drive to get to the Social Services Department. So I ran to my husband's aunt house and I called my dad and I gave him full custody of my kids and I told him and I know it was a lie and I don't feel good about it but it saved my babies from going into the system I told him I said say you've had my kids for a week please daddy and he did and um, my mom came and got my girls and my dad kept my son Christopher Oh, bear with me (laughs) I wrote a letter and I got it notarized immediately saying that they had custody of my children oh Okay. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Let's see where I'm at here. You think this would straighten me up, but it didn't. It made me worse. In my mind I had no reason to live. I didn't have my babies anymore and I couldn't get my babies back. So in my mind I had nothing to live for. So like I said, I got worse. A couple of months later, several months later, I decided to move back to West Virginia and to try to get my kids back. I wasn't clean by any means, but I was just a little better at hiding it. So people didn't know, or I thought I was anyway. And then uh, in 2009, my first husband went to jail for selling drugs. That sent me on a downward spiral, big time. I started using any means necessary to get drugs, my body, whatever I could use, is what I used to get drugs. I know my kids were embarrassed of the way I dressed, the way I acted. It was a vicious cycle, very vicious. My mom moved back from North Carolina to West Virginia. And I thank God for my mom and my dad because if it weren't for them, I would not have been able to keep my kids out of the system. They would have been in the system somewhere. And uh, then in 2011, I was in an ATV accident and I was paralyzed from the waist down. I had shattered my L1 vertebrae and was told that I would most likely never walk again. The doctor looked at me and he said, you will most likely never walk. He was not sure. But I'm standing here today, a walk and talk testimony of God. You would have thought, because a lot of prayers were prayed for me then, you would have thought that would have stopped me. But the pain only made it worse, made my addiction grow worse and worse and worse. And uh, we'll skip ahead to... uh, May 2019, actually May the 4th, 2019, I lost my best friend to drugs and alcohol. And her daughter had to unplug her mama from life support. And when she got back, she said all she could think about was me. How was I gonna take it because I didn't have anybody anymore to, to talk to about things <sighs> luckily y'all she gave her life to the Lord two weeks before she passed away and I thank God for that but after that God started sending people to me left and right to tell me about Jesus and like there were so many people And uh, I kept telling people that entire month, I'm going to get clean. They'd heard this for 20 years, so naturally they didn't believe me. They're like, yeah, well, I hope you do. I hope you do. So I asked my mom if I could move back home. That was um, January 14th of 2019. I asked her if I could move back home, and she said yes under one condition, if I see you high you have to go and I won't let you come back and I know that had to be hard for my mama to do that to tell her child that but the pain that I put them through wasn't nothing you know I wasn't going through nothing compared to what I had put them through and uh, so I was sitting on my mom's porch on June the 21st and uh, the withdrawals were so intense And the mind games and the wars going on in my head was so intense that I wanted to go back down the road and get drugs. And I had it in my mind that I was going to later. So I was sitting on my mom's porch and I was looking at Facebook. And I was watching this guy because I thought he was cute. This guy was talking about Jesus, y'all, and recovery. Conviction hit me so hard. And I knew right then and there that I wanted to give my life to the Lord. And I... I thought about my cousin Ashley because she prayed for me a few weeks before and I was healed and I thought about her I was like I need to call Ashley but before I could even do that her message bubble popped up and it said do you want to go to vacation Bible school with me tonight so I know that was God like here I'm thinking in my heart I want to give my life to God and he sends my cousin to message me so I push that button I call her I'm like I want to give my life to God so she literally broke every speed limit to get to me <laughs> and uh we went to her grandfather's, it's my uncle, to his porch and on FaceTime with Bright Child Church of God Pastor Jenna Patterson. She prayed for me and, you know, uh, give my life to the Lord, I had, which I'd already done that on my mama's porch and didn't realize it, you know. But um, she told me, she said, Jenny, if there's anything you want from God, ask him now. So I did. I said, God, take this addiction from me because I can't do it anymore. And if you don't do it, it won't get done, God. And y'all, I'm not joking when I say instantly. The withdrawals left. The desire for drugs was gone. I was set free. And it was all Jesus because I could never do it on my own. I tried several times through the 20 years, and I could not do it on my own. Sorry, y'all. And this is about my kids. So um, Chris and Kristen, they were pretty quick, you know, to forgive me. And they were so proud of me and, and always encouraging me. But my baby girl, she was my toughest critic. She had seen me fall time and time again. So it took her a little longer. But after about a year, she wrote a Facebook post telling me how proud she was of me. And that meant a lot to me. Because she was really my toughest critic. To hear her say that she was proud of me. So like I said, today makes three years and 11 months. And I could not have done it without God. I have a relationship with my kids and my wonderful grandbabies and my mom and my dad. God has restored so many relationships for me. Um, and I know that none of it would have been possible without him. Like, I'm telling you, none of it would have been possible without him. When he, I say he redeemed the years that was stolen from me, I truly mean that. He redeemed everything. He used everything bad that happened. He has used it for good. So... I just feel like I need to let you guys know if you have someone who is struggling, a loved one who is struggling with addiction, don't give up because my baby's prayed for 20 years. 20 years is a long time to keep praying and not seeing any results, but they never gave up. They they had a word spoken that their mama was going to be free, and they held on to that word. So I'm telling you guys today, don't give up on your lost loved one. Don't give up praying for him. Don't enable him, but... Do not give up praying for them, because there is hope in Jesus. Thank you, guys.
2: Good morning, y'all. It's so good to see everybody out today. Um. Situated here because can't see without these any longer <laughs> up close. Um, I'm just gonna you know kind of jump into this because um, as you know you know Sister Amanda asked us to share our testimony and <clears throat> um, really the first time that I ever drank I was 13 years old and. I remember that first time, and I remember that last time. Um, The times in between, not really so much. Um, When I I drank, I I drank to get drunk. There wasn't really no in between. Um, The goal was to go from sober to drunk as quickly as possible, and uh, that's what I did. And I can remember the very first time that I, I drank. I was 13 years old and um, I remember the way that it affected me and I thought it was a good thing obviously was not um, it, it made me to feel comfortable with, with where I was you see I didn't like who I was I didn't, I didn't like me I didn't like my personality I didn't like who I was so in order to be okay with me I drank and then I could you know, do whatever I wanted. And, you know, in my mind, it made sense that, you know, well, if you do something stupid or say something stupid, well, you know, you were drunk. Didn't really matter, you know. Uh, Other people would think, oh, well, you know, she was just drunk, whatever. Um, Not really good logic. Um, And, That is where I kind of developed the mentality of it's okay. It's okay. And, you know, I didn't grow up in church. um, And, you know, alcohol is readily available pretty much at every family function. Um, We were at a wedding yesterday. And I'm pretty sure there was not a whole lot of people that were not drinking. Um, It's kind of... I grew up with a mentality of that's what you do, that's what what you do, you know, you you grow up, you get old enough and that's what you do. Um, And the first time that I I drank made a big difference. Some of you all um, know my brother, uh, Brad. I actually um, almost got him into a fight because I started running my mouth and that's when it was time to go. (laughs) However, you know, the impact on my life had already taken place. And that was at 13. At 14 was the first time that I um, got high smoking weed. And um, I went back and forth between the two. I had a couple of um, experiences drinking that, you know, like Jenny said, you, you would think it would make you stop. But for some reason, you know, you, you, you're not operating in what makes sense. Um, I uh, woke up one day and it was dark. And I was in a room and it wasn't like when you fall asleep in the living room and you wake up and you're kind of like, oh, I, I fell asleep on the couch. I'm in my living room. No, I had no idea where I was. I had no, I didn't recognize the room. I had no idea where I was at or how I got there. And you would think, like Jenny said, that would be enough. But it wasn't. Um when I was a teenager, I um these pictures up here that you see, that one of me passed out on the floor. I was probably 17. I was 17 or 18 years old. And um I had a experience that I was at a party and we went, um, there was, you know, a bunch of people there and friends of friends. And I went with this guy. I had no idea who he was. He was a a friend of a friend. I had no idea how well this friend knew this person, knew nothing, but we had been drinking and, and we left. We left. And I ended up in a house. I had no idea where I was. I didn't even know what street I was on. If I could get away, but I couldn't because we were in a house that had bars on the windows. I know because I looked so that I could get out. The front door was locked with one of those dead bolts that you had to have a key to unlock it to get out. And he said, you're not getting out of here. And I don't know how I got out of there without being raped. But by the grace of God, even then, he protected me. And you would think. You would think that would be enough. You see, when you think about your loved ones that are, are stuck, that are bound, you try to think in your logic It doesn't work that way. They're not operating in what makes sense. It's just not there right now. They don't have that ability. You will drive yourself crazy trying to figure it out. I know that because then I was on the other side of things with my husband that is bound in addiction. And I saw the other side of things. And you try to figure it out. You try to make sense. You try to understand. You try to fix. You can't do it. It has to be Jesus. They have to come to Jesus. And only when they have those moments that there may be some sense of clarity will your prayers make an impact. You don't know when that is, but like Jenny said, don't give up. Keep praying. Keep praying. I didn't pay attention to the time, but um, I want to share with you, <clears throat> um, I, I got into the Marine Corps and, you know, so I decided that smoking weed probably wasn't a good idea because I didn't want to end up in the brig and uh, finish out my, my contract that way. Because that's what happens. They don't, they don't just send you to jail for a couple of days. They, in, the, in the military, they send you to the brig and you stay there until your contract is, is fulfilled. So I decided, I had enough sense to decide that, you know, I didn't want to do that. Um, but that meant that, you know, drinking was the alternative. And that's what you see up here. On the other side, that's in my kitchen. My oldest daughter is sleeping in the other room. And we were partying in the kitchen. Thank God. It was shortly after that. That I got saved. And I gave my life to Christ. Yes. I, I guess that. Um, God knew I would need some help. <laughs> because just before, this was all before I even turned old enough to drink. I was pregnant with Jada, my second daughter, when um, I turned 21. And I you know, decided I wasn't gonna drink and that was enough time for God to work in my heart and in my life and make the difference and change my perspective and change who I was And give me what I needed to be able to accept who I was. And become what he wanted me to be. And I want to share with you um, this scripture. And I'm going to try to finish up here. Um, But I want to read to you. When Jesus went into the wilderness. Luke chapter 4. I'm going to try to go through quickly here. um, Not to take up too much time. And Jesus being filled full of the Holy Ghost. Returned from the Jordan and led by the spirit into the wilderness being 40 days tempted of the devil and in those days he did eat nothing and that they were ended him I'm sorry they were ended him afterwards hungry of course after 40 days and the devil said unto him if thou be the son of God command this stone to be turned into bread and Jesus answered him saying it is written this man shall not live by bread alone but by every word of God and the devil talked Sorry, And the devil, taking him up on the high mountain, showed him all of the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power I will give to thee, and the glory of God, for that is delivered unto me, and whosoever I will give unto you. If thou wilt just bow down and worship me, all this will be yours. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get behind me, Satan for it is written thou shalt worship the lord thy god in him alone and he brought him to jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said unto him if thou be the son of god cast thyself down from here for it is written he shall give thee cha- angels charge over thee to keep thee and in thy hands they shall lift thee up so that they will not so that thy will not dash thy foot against the stone and jesus Answered, said unto him, It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had entered, ended all the temptation, he departed for a season. couple of short points I want to make to you from this scripture. One, the devil knows what this word says. He knows what it says, and he will use it against you if you don't know what this says. That scripture, that what the devil said to him, throw yourself off and the angels will protect you. That scripture, you can look it up in Psalms 91. It's in there. But Jesus, knowing the word of God, returned to him with what scripture says also. And when you put those two together, then you know what to do. Then you have an answer. Then you can respond to the enemy. And the last thing that I want to share with you um, is the rest of my testimony. And it says here in verse 13, And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. You see, the last time that I drank was in 1999 that I was regularly drinking. Um, I had a drink after that in... um, 2003, 2002, something like that. And what I want you to understand, if you are fighting the enemy and if you are trying to overcome, and it doesn't matter what sin it is, he will depart for you from you for a season. You have to know the word of God because he's going to come back. And I know that's not the most encouraging, uplifting thing to hear, but it's the truth. In this past couple of years it was rough I talked to a couple of my friends and I said you know am I making these things bigger than what they actually are am I making you know molehills into mountains what is what is going on here what is happening and they said no you, you got a lot going on you got a lot to deal with and one of them said no I think you're under attack and you know After all these years, which was not the first time, but after all these years, I said, Lord, I don't just want a glass of wine. I want a whole bottle. I want the whole thing. And I would be okay with losing about three days right now. Because the devil came back at a more opportune time. But I praise God this morning because this word says if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. And if you stand upon the word of God, he will flee. He has to. It is the word of God. And if you're sitting in there and you're saying, I tried it, I tried it again and again, yes, keep trying. Keep trying because God's word is true. God's word is true. And if you resist the devil, he has to flee. (laughs) Keep praying. Keep resisting. And your life will be changed. Your life will be transformed. I stand here today. Thankful that God has a call in my life. Thankful that I can share my testimony and see people's lives changed. I'm thankful what God has brought me through. I'm thankful that he has brought me through a place that I can stand here and share what God has done for me. God has changed everything. I would love to show you picture after picture after picture of where we lived, vehicles we drove, the situations and circumstances that we lived in. But we don't have time for that. If you put your trust in God, He will do it. His word is true. Do not forget that. His word is true. Stand upon it, and the devil will flee from you.
3: you. Now it's my turn. Thank you, Pastor Amanda, for allowing me this opportunity again. And, you know, it would be real easy if I could stand up here and tell you that my life was something like one of the great women of the Bible. You know, we have Deborah or Queen Esther. And I'd even settle for the poor widow who just put two coins in there, you know. If they could say I was sacrificial, you know, and I gave to God at a sacrifice, I'd love that. But that's, that's just not my story. My story is, well, if I'm being honest, it's more like the woman the Samaritan woman at the well, you know, the woman that God said was five husbands, and the one she was with now was not, because I I found myself in unhealthy relationship after unhealthy relationship, this cycle, and, and and I can almost say I identify with a woman caught in the act of adultery, you know, where my sin and debauchery was laid in the street for everyone to gawk at me and talk about me, and everybody was ready to throw stones, you know, cast judgment upon me, and That's my story. And I was introduced to methamphetamine when I was in high school. I was about 14 or 15 years old. I actually started drinking when I was um, 12 or 13, maybe. And I would use meth on and on, off and on in adulthood. I would go through seasons where I would use for a few months, and then I'd put it down for a little while, and then it always made its way back around. Whether it was the people I was hanging out with or situations I was involved in, it always found its way back. I would loved the party lifestyle. I found myself in the club three to four times a week. I know that sounds crazy, um, but I was a functioning addict. All right, I maintained a job and took care of my kids for the most part, I had a lot of help in that area. I could call my mom anytime, and she was there. Obviously, if I'm clubbing three to four days a week, my kids weren't there with me. <laughs> but in high school, I didn't have things like my kids or bills or things that held me back. Um, but when those came along, I just rolled with it. You know, you, you learn how to juggle everything. Um, personal relationships I got into accepted and fostered that lifestyle, so it, my dysfunction just grew. Whenever my relationship I was in got difficult, I just walked away. I didn't have the ability within myself to talk to people or communicate, so all I would do if I got hurt, I would shut down, I would turn to my vices, and I left, and I just left. In 1999 or, or 2000, meth came, a, meth surged back into my life with a vengeance. And I was in between relationships, and of course, I ran into an old friend, and guess what they brought with them. Um, At first, it was the social use again on the weekends. Friday was party time, go and re-up. Saturday, party time. Sunday was for coming down, trying to get back into the swing of things, drink a lot, smoke some weed so you can go to bed, get up for work on Monday. But that only lasted so long before I found myself needing a little bump or two in the middle of the week to get me through. And then before you know it, I was snorting lines every morning before work. My moods became so erratic. I could go from laughing and joking around with you, having a good time, to a full-out brawl in 2.3 seconds flat. I was full of rage. Fists would fly. I'd throw things across the house, and I was real, real good at using my words as weapons. I could cut someone to pieces. And that was so... that bothers me so much because I treated people terribly my family kept their distance from me except for the kids they were always there for my kids which I praise God now for that and it was my my poor kids you know and that's really all I can say about that because they were caught up in the middle and if I talk any more about that I will just break down one day my anger got the best of me okay I was at work, you know, probably high, I don't remember the exact situation, but I had a, a job. I was an accountant and an office manager at a um, cellular two-way radio company, and my boss was letting me break into sales, because I'm telling you, I'm gonna be honest, those salespeople had nice paychecks, so I was trying to get in on that, and he gave me the opportunity to handle an account on my own. Well, One day, they called to talk to me, and he grabbed the phone before I had a chance to get there, and you'd have thought, like the world was ending, I went off on him. I was screaming obscenities across the office at him while he was on the phone and he was just standing there like, what are you doing? I flipped him my birds and I walked out the door. I mean, I was gone. I had a mortgage, I had a car payment, I had little children depending on me for clothing and food and I just left. All I wanted to do was go home and get high. And so that's what I did. Drugs would mask the pain and dilute all the thoughts of failure that I had. Drugs and alcohol allowed me to be numb to my reality. And when the numbness wore off, I would just go back and do it again to this vicious cycle, trying to just feel better. And so I have a theory on addicts. I think that everyone who's struggling they have something deep down underneath. There's voids, there's traumas, there's pain, there's wounds and things that they're nursing and self-medicating to try and feel better. And I think that the outward visible manifestations of addiction and bondage are signs of this deeper struggle. And if we're really going to help addicts, we need to understand that it's not just enough to tell them, don't do that. Can't you see what you're jeopardizing here? Because just like these other ladies said, they don't rash, we don't rationalize like that. When we're in the throngs of addiction, we don't think and weigh those consequences. We have to be able to stand next to them, take their hand, and help them get to the bottom of what's really the problem. And that, in that lies the power of redemption. See, the Bible tells us that each one of us has been bought with a price, God values our lives so much that he sent his son to pay ransom for us. Jesus bought us back from the grip of the enemy when he traded his perfect life for ours. Now, it's not just my sins that he paid for, and it's not just your sins. His blood doesn't just cover the sins of the people in the church. The truth is that he died for every single person that will ever walk the face of the earth. And the problem is that so many people don't know that. With this redemption comes freedom, if you let it work. Christ didn't come just to redeem us. He said he came to give us an abundant life. That means in a life full of good things, love, peace, self-control. And true freedom means no more bowing down under the weight of, the, of life and its, and its traumas. Freedom is an abundance and living in the fruits that God has promised us right now. Now, salvation is about accepting Christ's redeeming sacrifice for our life. We're able to receive forgiveness for our sins, and we gain access to the Father from this exchange that takes place. And the truth behind redemption is that there was an exchange that took place, a trade that happened of things of value. And here's the reality of that truth. The value God, that God placed on my life And the value he placed on your life is so great. He wanted you to be with him in eternity so badly that he sent Jesus to pay the price for our sins. That we could be there with him. And now when you allow the truth of how valuable you are and what your worth really is, when you allow that to take root in your heart, your life is going to be changed, guaranteed. I got saved when I was about three to four years into my addiction, and I continued to use for a little bit, about a a year or so afterwards. But the fact that I continued to use didn't diminish my worth at all. My value had already been determined 2,000 years ago when Jesus came down here and said, I'm going to do this for her. Romans 5.8 says that he showed his great love for us and that while we were still sinners, he died for us. So what whatever you're caught up in whatever your struggle is the nagging feelings that go on in your head the war that's waging nothing that you're battling and nothing that you're doing in that struggle none of that determines your value or diminishes your worth nothing will disqualify you from accepting the exchange that Jesus made for your life in fact it's just the opposite God loves you so much, and he refuses to leave you in that condition. He'll turn your life around and give you beauty for ashes if you let him. But you have to work with him through the process. At some point before I got saved, I remember seeing all these strange bumper stickers. Like, I'd be going to meet my dealer and re-up, you know, and on the back of a construction truck, there was a bumper sticker that says, Jesus won't dump on you. (laughs) Yeah. Or... (laughs) Yeah, it it sounds almost too funny to be true. Right? And it, it's a, or he say nobody loves you like Jesus. And Jesus is your hope. And it could be that they were always there and I just never noticed them, you know. It could be but for some reason they were jumping out at me and I got to thinking. I'm like, why am I seeing all this Jesus stuff? I like, guess it just seemed so out of place, but then I wondered, does Jesus really love me? And then I started thinking, If Jesus is trying to get my attention, he must really love me because no one wants any of this drama right now. Everything that I was about, everyone was keeping their distance. So if he is trying to reach out, he must not care that I'm on drugs and that I'm strung out. If he's willing to walk into my pit and snatch me out and get me, then he really does care. So I started to open up this place in my heart while I was willing to accept the possibility that he could really love me. I started to feel like I mattered to him. And I think that a lot of us need to start thinking and accepting the perspective of our worth to him in a different way. The enemy is going to come and he's going to try and convince you that everything that I'm saying up here is not true, that there's too much in your life, in your past to cover up. Maybe you don't pray enough or or this or that, anything. He's going to try and tell you that it's not true and it doesn't apply to you, but you can't believe it because nothing disqualifies you from coming to Jesus and taking him in your heart. Now, you can't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that that lifestyle is okay or condoning anything. I'm just saying you can't let anything keep you from coming to Jesus and surrendering it to him. God knew exactly how much debt needed to be covered when he sent Jesus down here. He's the one who establishes that worth. Nothing can take that away from you. And there's a certain degree of healing that comes along with accepting your value and your worth um, that God has put on you. And you can begin to grow and mature in God's, God's love. Like uh, Romans 12 and 2 tells us, don't conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's exactly what I had to do. I had to change the way I was thinking and get me out of this defeated mindset that continued the cycle of me going back to use again. I had to keep my eyes on the prize, and part of that was Jesus, but in all honesty, part of that was my kids, my beautiful kids. I had to work hard daily and fight the urges to crucify my flesh Every day was a struggle, but just like Jessica said, it only lasted for a time. There comes a time where you get uh, released from that part of the process. It took focus and dedication. And like I said, it was a year um, after I confessed Jesus as my Savior when I finally put meth down for good. But that year cost me a lot. Um, My house went into foreclosure. Um, My kids went to live with family members because I was a mess. I was really unable and you know, we didn't have a house. Um, but I had determined in my heart that I was gonna do everything I could to prove that I was worthy of the sacrifice. And so little by little, I made strides in my recovery. I went back to college. I um, finished my bachelor's degree. Um, God allowed me to reconnect with my kids and I built solid, strong relationships with each one of them. <laughs> And he even granted me a couple more. Um, And and you make a joke, yeah, I kind of feel like Sarah having a kid at 90. Well, it was somewhat similar to that. (laughs) 45 is the new 90, I guess. I don't know. Um, And after all those failed and miserable relationships, I was blessed to have a a wonderful husband. And, And... Last month, I celebrated 18 years clean and clear from methamphetamine. And if that's not good enough, it gets even better. I want to take you back to the woman at the well. All right, you, you guys know the story very well. Jesus Um, she was outcast in her village. She came to draw water at noon, the heat of the day, because she wanted to avoid the other women, right? Everybody was talking about her. She had quite the reputation. But Jesus goes out of his way to meet with her, right? It was a divine appointment. And you remember how I said I can relate to her, how she was jumping from man to man, and, and that's my story? Well, I can imagine that she was empty inside. I can imagine that just like I was, she was looking for someone to really love her, And maybe she had that painful void inside, and everything she did to try and fix her own brokenness just made things worse. And I believe that she was crying out from the inside, and when no one was looking, she was doubled over in pain and anguish, full of regret and shame, and it was probably too much for her to bear. But I bet that those cries reached our Father in heaven, and he sent Jesus And maybe Jesus even heard her groans of sorrow. And that's what drew him to Samaria. Because if you remember, he said, I have to go there. And first, Jesus asked her for a drink. And I bet she was thinking, oh, come on, who is this joker? You come to me asking me for a drink? I don't know what you're really up to. Like, I'm not falling for that line this time, buddy. But she played it cool. And she brushed it it off. And he says, if you only knew the gift that God has for you, and who you were talking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. He spoke directly to her situation. He says, I know that you desire God, and I know that you're looking for fulfillment, and if you knew that what you needed and you were, was looking you straight in the face, you would jump at the chance to grab it. He, would, he knew she had this void, and he was there to fill it. And you know what she did? He then tells her, I am the Messiah. And you know what she did when she heard that? She jumped up. She forgot her water jug. She ran back to the village to tell everyone about this great man that she had just come into contact with. And the Bible says she took, people came running out to Jesus based on her word. They asked him, Can you stay with us for a couple days? And he said, Sure, I'll do that. John, in John chapter 4, verse 31, it says that many people came to know Jesus and believe in him, first because of the word of the Samaritan woman, but then because they were able to spend their own time and build a relationship with him. Of all the people Jesus could have used to save people in that town, he chose a broken outcast who was hurting, but also (laughs) thirsty for God. I am filled with so much hope when I read the end of the story of the Samaritan woman. Because if God can touch her and use her and is willing to come down and be with her, he's going to do it for me. And he's going to do it for each one of you. No matter what twists and turns, fill your story He will use them, and he will use you if you let him. That is the beautiful power of redemption.
0: Come on, can we get on our feet and thank these three ladies for what they've done today? God is able, say he is able, to redeem and restore all. All, that means everything. Everything that's been stolen from you. All, meaning everything that has been stolen from you. And he's able to give you joy for your sorrow and hope for your future. If you don't know Jesus, I urge you to know him. He is the best friend that I've ever had. And every time I feel like, and I have, wanted to walk away because life gets hard sometimes. And, and sometimes life is so hard it makes you want to just walk and just keep going. You don't even know where you're going to go, but you're just going to go somewhere. Am I the only one that feels that way? Just like Jessica said, you know, sometimes we have to hold on. You know, we don't understand everything that we're going through. You can be seated. We don't understand everything that we're going through, but you just have to hold on. You have to hold on to him, and the longer you hold on to him, he'll get you through. And then something else might come against you, and then he'll get you through that too because he's that good. That's the Lord I serve. He has the power to redeem, and the reason that I, I had these ladies give their testimony is, for one, I mean, some of you know, some of you might not know, uh, Jessica Best over here, she is a, a licensed minister in the Church of God now, and she leads our prayer ministry here at the church, she's fantastic. She also teaches our Wednesday night Bible studies online, so you make sure you watch for her on that, on that as well, and, and a lot of her lessons are really, really good, but you can see her past and what God has done with her. And then now we, and we have Sister, uh, well, Reverend Amy Smith just got her license too. You know, with God, all things are possible. It doesn't matter what you've done or who you used to be or who you used to do it with or whatever. God doesn't care about all that. He sees your future. He says, I know the plans that I have for you, and those plans are to prosper you and not to harm you. So God knows what he has for your future. We just have to keep holding on to him. Amen. So, I'm going to ask my husband to join me on the stage. We're going to do something special right now before we give you moms your gifts. And um, we, sorry, I'm going to give you your microphone, it's right there. <laughs> so, we are going to uh, present Reverend Amy Smith with her license.
4: So I don't want to, I didn't want to call you out and, and say that you lied, but you said she'd received a license. I said, not yet. I
0: said, well, she did. She She's calling have,
4: things that are not as though they already she are. She don't
0: have the paper, but we all know she already has it. Uh, I
4: didn't want you to run away, Jessica. Would you come back, please? I'm sorry. come back. So, one of the benefits of being a long-term pastor is you you get to invest in people. Uh, I thought I was coming to what was then called Follensby Church of God, I thought I was coming for a three-year assignment, which by the way was twice as long as my first church. I was there for 15 months and now I am on my eighth three-year assignment here. And. Uh, One of the benefits of that is you, you see people get invested in kingdom, and you, you get to see them mature. And two of these ladies that spoke up here, I, I saw their transformation. I'm seeing Jenny's, I'm, but I, I watched these two. Jessica was one of the first, I want to say, new people that we picked up that's still here. Glenette is probably the only one that beat you <laughs> you, you guys came right after we did and, and got invested in the church and And I have put her into uh, the 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 rigors of passing the test and getting uh, her exhorters and her credentials as a matter of fact I, I was sitting there counting and my forgetter works better than my rememberer sometimes but I'm on my seventh person out of this church that has been called into the ministry and has received credentials. This morning makes number seven and um, I was invested in both of your lives very early on in your walk uh, with with, with the Lord. Um, And so I've seen the transformation up close and personal and I'm also one of the ones that was integral in confirming that there's a call on your life and so i feel like even though we have spiritual sons and spiritual daughters i i feel like that you guys are are like my spiritual children that i i and, and and i just beam with with pride and i know i'm not supposed to be proud but when i see you guys operating in the gift that god gives you it it overwhelms me this is harder than people thinks it is and when I when I see you guys and you're a lot more seasoned than, than she is and I see you up here and you're struggling because you're getting emotional and you're struggling to get the words out and I'm like this is harder than people thinks it is to get up here not just repeat verbiage but to be invested and transparent and vulnerable it's tough and to see you guys operating in the gifts that God's placed in your life it makes it makes an old man proud and even though i'm not that much older than either one of you as a matter of fact so we won't we won't say that because these are women up here if these were men up here i'd be i'd be calling out numbers but i'm smarter than that on mother's day amen to god so i i, I want i want to at this time and, and and i ask you to stay up here because you you're also uh, credentialed in church of god i'm going to ask one of the other people that i'm Emotionally invested in and incredibly proud of, and he's one of the pastors that we have here. And her husband, Pastor Lejean, would you come up here? If you would just hold on to that just for a second, uh, and 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 so I, I I'm going to ask you, sis, to step up here. So, I, I've, I've. I've redone my theory on ministry at least 97,562 times. I don't know what I thought ministry was going to look like before I began it, but it didn't look like this. I don't know what I thought it was going to look like, but this isn't it. Every day I walk around like a goose in a new world. I didn't know that I was going to be here. So I don't know. I can't tell you what to expect from the call because it's still new to me. I'm still reinventing what I consider ministry. But after all these years, I have narrowed down, just like a stool needs four legs to stand, I've narrowed down ministry to four key components. And the first thing that God requires and needs for success in ministry is a willing vessel. That's, that's the ve- Without that, none of the rest of it that he is going to put on the vessel is going to work if the vessel is not willing to receive. So that part is up to you. And so I charge you in front of all these people that once, get, once we give you this piece of paper, it doesn't change a thing about you, about your relationship with God, and your ability to convey his message to his people it won't change a thing the only thing that will ever change from who you are right now to who God wants you to be in the future is your willingness to receive. So if He he has a willing vessel in you, that's, that's the first key component. The next thing that is not on you, it is on heaven, is the anointing. The anointing breaks the yokes. Every time you speak his word. You have to immerse yourself as a willing vessel in the anointing that makes the difference. None of our wisdom will break yokes. No, no amount of study will get anybody loose from their bondages. It will continually until Jesus comes back always require the anointing. And and so I want to present to you today. A bottle of oil and I know it's not your first and it won't be your last but but it's the one that I gave you today to always be a reminder to trust the anointing because sometimes it will feel like every word you're speaking is falling flat and nobody is receiving and nobody is listening and you're gonna have to learn how to trust that it the anointing makes the difference this the third leg of Successful ministry is the practice of prayer. So we present you today with your own prayer shawl. Prayer is as important to the minister as air is to the body. It's how you hear from him. It's how you get in tune with what he wants to say versus what Amy wants to say. Because trust me, there's a whole lot of Albert I have to tell to shut up every Sunday. Because some of these people need to hear some stuff that I got to say but I... And I have to pray and get his heart for his people because, to be honest, I don't always have their heart. Sometimes my heart is heavy. Sometimes I have burdens in my heart. Sometimes I have things that don't need to be in my heart. heart. So prayer is the way you get in tune with his heart. And that's the third leg of the stool. And last but not least is the Word of God. There will never be anything as important to your personal growth or your ability to lead other people to God as hiding this word in your heart. There is a manual for raising children, for having successful marriages, for casting out demons, for healing the sick bodies, for walking and talking like Jesus. It's all contained in the pages of this book. And had it not been for this book, I wouldn't be here and neither would you. Had it not been for this book, none of these people would even have a hope of an eternity or a future. And you will never be able to peer into the future and know where they're going to spend eternity, but you will know that the promises of God is that He sent His Son to die for every one of them. They all have value because this book says they do. They all have hope because this book says they do. They all have the ability to cry out to Jesus and expect Jesus to do for them what He did for you because this book promises that His promises are yes and amen to them who believe in Him. so this word the law the grace the mercy hide it in your heart and as you repeat things you didn't it you did not even realize you memorized because this word will come bubbling out of you like living water you will realize that it's the call the call to ministry and these four legs makes for a successful minister and that's all I'm asking of you as I, I've seen you grow to this point, and I want to see you grow well beyond. It'll take all four of these components. Stay humble. Stay willing as a vessel. Practice prayer. Let the anointing and this word be your guide, and you will be successful. Pastor, bring, bring, bring that certificate over here. I, I, I want your husband. to. He's got one of these too. It is my honor. It's my duty today, but it's my honor to not only present to you as your pastor, but I was able to sign this as the district overseer of the Church of God in Cleveland, Tennessee, as we have given Reverend Amy Smith, file number 89095, her official exhorter certificate. Welcome to the credentialed ministry in the Church of God, our newest member eight nine what's your file number so there's been eleven thousand people credentialed since you and her minus forty nine thousand so there's been fifty thousand people credentialed between the time I started this journey and you yeah I've been doing this a minute church I'm gonna ask if you would to stretch your hands forward and would you two ladies come up and as we anoint her father In the name of Jesus, we pray right now your choicest blessings on this, your vessel. She's made a proclamation not only in the past, but right now that she is willing to receive from heaven. God let her steps be ordered by you. Let the Holy Ghost pour into her, your word, your anointing, and all things that are good and merciful and kind, allow her to stay soft and pliable in your hand. Give her the ability, God, to hear from heaven. And that when she opens her mouth, let rivers of living water come flowing out. That will cause people to be challenged. That will cause people to grow and cause people to know that they need a Savior. We are enthralled with you. We are. Uh, uh, we admonish you. We give you praise and glory that you call us, ordain us, touch us, and lead us where you want us to go. And God, today we give you praise for this vessel, receiving the call to work for you and we give you glory that we are part of her journey and her story in Jesus mighty name Amen and
0: If you're a mother we want to honor you today, so we have gifts to give you, we would like for all the moms if you're able to, to come to the front if you're a mama in here, don't be shy
4: If you're a mama, (laughs) come on, mamas.
0: If I have the ushers ready to pass the gifts out.
4: We love mamas. If you're not a mama and you're not up here, be thankful that you had a mama. Because none of us got here without one. I know this is 2023. We're trying to blur all the lines and say that things aren't.
0: Come
4: on, move up just a little. But every one of you got here because of a mama. Wow! Look at all these moms in there. Can we? Yeah. Let's just give each one of. Yay, ladies! Wow. This is beautiful. See, I told
0: you, moms
4: rule.
0: They rule the church. Look at this.
4: We uh. I lost my mother many years ago, so I haven't I haven't had a mother on Mother's Day in in a lot of years. But I've watched I've watched her be mother of our three. Ch- yeah, I, some of you are new here. She had all three of our kids because we're old fashioned like that. <laughs>
0: I wish you could have. Huh? <laughs>
4: but we're grateful wow look we can't even get them all up here hey ushers can we help can we help out getting people uh, up here we don't have no ushers all of our ushers laid down and died in the name of Jesus malnourished you guys might have to spread out a little bit we don't have any on this side won't you just walk across the stage now you can't stop and say nothing no go on just keep going just keep going no you can't stop and preach a while no go on go
0: ask my husband to pray a blessing over all of you, and then they're going to hand you your gifts, but we're so thankful, thankful that you're here today, and, and I'm thankful that your moms, as you're making a big impression on your children, and even if you haven't, just like some of, you know, what the ladies said up here today, you can always start over today, and you, you, can, you can start over and do Amen. better today than you have in the past, and God will honor that.
4: I'm going to ask you ladies to do something too. And I know you're about to get it. Some of you are already getting your cups. I'm going to ask you if you've got a hand free to just reach out and touch another mom. As we get ready to pray, I'm going to pray a blessing over you. Father, we're making points of contact in this altar. And we're asking that heaven make a point of contact right now. I want to speak to every mother that is gathered in this place. I want want you to, to bless their hearts today. God, I want you to give your sweet Holy Spirit... To them, so that they can feel confident in the job that they are doing. Maybe not in the job that they have done because every one of us live with regrets and things we wish we could have changed. But God, from this point going forward, we want to have your heart for our children. We want to have your heart for our grandchildren and for our offspring and our our nieces and nephews and anyone we have influence over. God, let these godly women rise up, call themselves blessed, lean on you trust in your promises and begin to be the light that their children and grandchildren need them to be give them the strength god to endure because mothers carry a heavy load let them become uh strong in your word and in your promises and in your spirit because god they want to do the best that they can Not just for their children, but to make you proud. So God, today, give them the encouragement. Let them feel confident that when they leave here, they have given themselves to you, so they have more to give to their children. In the name of Jesus, I bless them that they will carry this blessing, not just for their generation, but for their generations. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. God bless you ladies.